Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Good evening, everybody, and uh, you know, thank you for coming today. I know it's uh, we're all fasting. It's Ramadan, and maybe the energy levels are low, but inshallah, we will try to make it as interesting and as possible so that none of you sleep, inshallah. So, like we said, the people in the back, come, come forward, inshallah, because I need your energy as well, inshallah, to stay awake. Now, yes, please, all the seats are empty. Now, in terms of um, Ramadan being the month of Quran, so what's a beautiful way to, to begin the first weekend of Ramadan with an event that will, inshallah, help us understand one of the surahs of the Quran. Now, now Surah Al-Hujurat is, again, one of those surahs that I've always been wanting to study and ponder upon and reflect upon and share my uh, findings with, with all of you, inshallah. So this is, you know, something I've been waiting for for a long, long time. And finally, the time has come, inshallah, today. Um, so I'm really, really excited, and I hope that all of you are as well, inshallah. So let me give you, inshallah, uh, we start, A'udhu Billahi Mishtar Rajeem, Bismillah Rahman Rahim, Alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala Rasulullah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. We start with a little bit of context. The Surah Al-Hujurat, by unanimous, you know, scholarly views, it's a Madani Surah, which means it was revealed where? In Medina, and I need you to interact with me, inshallah, okay? So where was it revealed? Medina, and which year was it revealed in? In the ninth Hijri. So which year? Ninth Hijra, which is really close to the end of the time of the Prophet And during this time, what was happening in Medina was the problems with the Jews was pretty much over, the problems with the hypocrites was pretty much over. When it came to, you know, New Muslims coming in, this was known as Amil Wufud, the year of the delegations. So now Islam became like a, the dominant power in the region. The conquest of Mecca was pretty much you know, around the corner and all the tribes were coming into Medina in, in huge numbers, right? And, and a lot of these people were people new to Islam. People who were just hearing about Islam, people who were just kind of you know, getting introduced to the, you know, the fact that Islam has now become the dominant power in the region. And so for, for a lot of these people, these tribes were just coming in not knowing what was happening in this city, you know. Um, and so there's different groups of people in the surah. At first, we have people like Abu Bakr and Umar who were like, you know, very righteous people and people who've been there from the beginning. So that's the first group of people. The second group of people are people who are known as Fusaq or Fasiq. And we'll talk about this later on. But people who are outwardly sinful. People who are, you know, they've crossed the limits, they've crossed the boundaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they're outwardly sinning. You know, they're proudly sinning in front of the public, right? And then you have new Muslims, like I told you. People who are very, you know, new to Islam, they have really, you know, no background on Islam, no, you know, terbiyah of the Meccan period. You know, the upbringing of the Meccan period was how many years? How many years was it? Yeah, about 13 years of upbringing in Mecca, right? A lot of values being instilled. And so, you know, a lot of these new Muslims, they didn't have that background. They didn't have that foundation. And so they also consist of a specific group in, the, in this community. And you also have sinful people, right? People who pretty much have no character, right? They have maybe the obedience. They have the, um, you know, uh, worship part. But character-wise, they're, they're sinning. They're backbiting. They're, you know, spreading false rumors. They're making fun. So a lot of, you know, a lot of things that we'll talk about later on. But this is just to give you an idea of who was in Medina, what were the different groups in Medina, to give you a little bit of more context on the surah itself. 
Now, I know you can't see the picture, but this is pretty much a helicopter view of the entire surah. There's 18 ayat in this surah. In this surah. How many ayat? 18 verses in the surah, right? And inshallah, you'll understand why I've broken it up into the, the shape that you see. But for now, what I want you to pay attention to is this amazing finding that the word iman and its different root meanings was repeated in this surah like no other word, right? Over and over again. And I've actually pinned them in the surah, right? So you can see literally where iman is mentioned all over again. And similarly, taqwa, you know, the green pins, they resemble taqwa. So iman and taqwa are recurring themes in this surah. And you may wonder, right, how come? I thought this was about, you know, social harmony and it was about community ethics and divine ethics. What does iman and taqwa have to do with this? Well, let me tell you, my conclusion now is that after studying the surah, iman and taqwa are, are the foundations of every community. Inshallah, you'll understand this as we go along. So what are some of the common themes in the surah? Number one, what's the difference between Islam and Iman? That's going to be very, very clearly mentioned. And this is something that we as Muslims today need to clarify, right? So this is something I'm going to be talking about right from the beginning. Is there a difference between a Muslim and a Mu'min? What makes you a Mu'min? What makes you a Muslim? What's the difference between the two? And the second thing is this concept called taqwa. We'll be talking about that because it also is a very recurring theme in the Quran, especially in this surah. And what's interesting is that, you know, this is the month of taqwa also, right? Fasting is the month of taqwa. So this might help you, inshallah, also with your understanding of Ramadan. Thirdly, another consistent theme in the surah is the idea of manners, akhlaq. And, you know, we, we live in those times now where people are complaining that, you know, Muslims are the worst people when it comes to akhlaq. Muslims are the worst people when it comes to character and morals and manners. And, you know, a lot has been said, a lot has been, there's a lot of criticism on Muslims and how, you know, merciless they've become. Some of them have even gone to the extent of doing crazy things like ISIS, blowing things up, you know. Um, killing people innocently, terrorism, and all of that stuff that you're seeing on the media. So we're, we're going to talk about the emphasis of manners when it comes to building a society. So let's do a quick Islam 101 lesson here. Okay. So what's the difference between Islam and Iman? Like you see the tree, there are certain things in the tree that you see on the outside, but there's also things that are unseen, right? What, is the, what are the unseen parts of a tree? The roots. Okay, very good. So let's look at the journey of a disbeliever, right? Someone who has no clue about Islam. They're in this thing called kufr, okay? In the Arabic language, kufr is the opposite of shukr, which means gratitude, being grateful, being thankful. And so the, the kafir is literally someone who's ungrateful for all the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed them with. He, in a way, has covered these blessings, you know? They're deep down inside, buried in the ground like a seed, that you cannot see. So it's there, but you deny the fact that it's there. You deny the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore that's what kafir means in the Arabic language. Someone who hides something deep down inside under the ground and doesn't appreciate it. Okay, You're denying it. So that's where it starts, the journey. Now, where does the transformation happen? The transformation happens when you decide to become grateful. When you stop and you think and you ponder upon the fact that you have been created in this world. Some creator, some being has brought you into existence. 
He's made your heart beat. He's given you eyes. He's given you ears. He's given you the ability to breathe. He's given you family and children and all these blessings. He's got, given you a nice job. He's given you all sorts of blessings. And so naturally what happens is you start becoming grateful. For who? You don't know yet. You're just grateful deep down inside. You know that there's some, someone doing some amazing things for you, right? And, you know, slowly, slowly what happens is with the, this gratitude comes this belief that there must be a God out there. There must be some God somewhere out there that's taking care of me, that's created me for a purpose, that wants me to do certain things, that wants me to follow certain ways. I'm not here created with no purpose. I, you know, life is not just pure play, right? There is, there is a higher purpose, higher meaning behind life. And so that's where Iman starts, right? It starts deep down inside the heart. And then Iman turns into something called Yaqeen, which is certainty. When you become sure of the fact that, you know, Allah exists, there is one God. It can't be multiple gods. There has to be one God. This universe is perfectly, you know, uh, uh, designed by one creator. And therefore, you are ready to accept Islam, right? This is all happening where? Under, underground. It's happening at the root level. And this is what we call fitrah, right? You don't need to study Islam to go through this process. This is something that's human nature. It's innate in every single human being to go through this process if you become people who think, if you become people who reflect, right? People of reflection, people who ponder, people who think deeply about their lives, and all the favors that you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with, they come to this conclusion without any book, without any Qur'an, without any prophet. This is purely based on fitrah. Then comes the next stage. The next stage is where you realize that you need revelation. You need some sort of divine guidance to take you to the next step. And that is when you enter Islam. That is when you wholeheartedly, with full conviction, with the deep conviction in your heart, you decide to testify that I believe in none other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being the only God worthy of worship and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is the final messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is basically what you say to become a Muslim. This is the shahada. And this is where you verbally and legally enter into Islam. Right? You all know this. We enter into Islam by affirming this testification or testimony which is known as the shahadatain. Next, after Islam, there are certain obligations that come with it, right? Certain things that you should do, certain things that you shouldn't do. And so this is what we call obedience. This is what Islam really means, submission, total submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, affirming that you are the slave, he is the master, and the fact that you are willing to do whatever he says to you because you believe in him. And this, again, the source of this relationship is love, right? Iman rests in the heart, and there's this deep love because it's coming from gratitude. And when you have gratitude as your root you know, emotion, then there's love involved in that also. And then with obedience comes the idea of manners, character. Right? So part of being a Muslim is, yes, we have to pray, fast, give charity, go to hajj, and all these other worship things that we do, right? But at the same time, the character part is equally important, right? So there's rights that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has upon us, and there is rights that people around us have upon us. And so that's where we get our guidance from, from revelation. What is, how do we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You know, before revelation, we knew we had to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but we didn't know how. When revelation came, when the Quran came, when Prophet Muhammad sallallahu came, he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught us how to thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through prayer. 
He taught us how to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is permissible? What is not permissible? Why are certain things permissible? Why are certain things not permissible? And what does it mean to have good character according to the Quran? And you know, Aisha, the wife of the Prophet was, was asked that what was the character of the Prophet And what did he say? Or what did she say? He said, Kana Quran. That his character was the Quran. And so the Prophet he was like the physical embodiment of the Quran. You wanted to see the Quran literally walking, you wanted to see the Quran in practice, being implemented in real life. Look at the life of the Prophet and that is why he is like our ultimate role model. So this is basically like an overview of the difference between Iman and Islam. Now, where does the problem start? The problem starts when you are born into Islam. How many of you are born into Islam? Okay, most Muslims today are pretty much born into Islam, except for the two gentlemen here. You're not born into Islam? Ah, oh, you are. Okay, I didn't see your hands. Okay. So, when you're born into Islam, let me ask you this, where, at which level do you stand? Do you stand at the root level or are you above the ground now? You're above the ground. And, and what's missing? All of the down part, all of the essentials, all of the foundation, all of the roots are completely missing. There's no gratitude, there's no real iman and love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no yaqeen and certainty. Because remember, Iman rises in the heart and Yaqeen is in the mind, right? And, and, you know, a sound human being with sound intellect and a sound heart will come to this deen wholeheartedly with, with, you know, embracing arms. But the problem is when you're born into Islam, you take things for granted, right? All of the foundational work is not done. And then what happens is you just start off be being a Muslim and society has expectations from you. What are the expectations society have from you? Obedience and character. But when the foundation is not there, is obedience easy? Yes or no? When the foundation is not there, is having the right character easy or no? No, right? So we're completely lost then. When we don't have our foundation, we're just born into this deen without really having strong roots. And this is really what was happening also in, in the surah. As you will see very soon when we cover the first ayah, a certain group of new Muslims who came to Medina, they started acting with the wrong manners, right? They didn't know how to act. Do we blame such people? Can you blame them? No, you can't blame them because they were new into Islam, but they didn't go through that groundwork that we talked about. And so this surah is as relevant to those people as it is to us today because we are pretty much in the same boat, right? We are also, most of us, new Muslims that don't have the foundation. And why does Allah address Iman and Taqwa in this surah so much? Because that is the foundation, right? You want good manners in a society? You want social harmony in a society? Work on the root. Work on the Iman and the Taqwa. And inshallah, you'll understand what it means. So the Prophet ﷺ says in this hadith, authentic hadith, the only reason I have been sent is to perfect good manners. Can you imagine this? This was the whole objective of the Prophet's message, is to perfect manners for all of us. And so manners is really the ultimate thing that will fix this community, fix this, you know, um, and, and make it, you know, a harmonious society. When you have manners, 
But to get the right manners, you need to have the groundwork done. You need to have the iman in place. Okay? So this will, inshallah, get clearer. So what is taqwa now? Taqwa is basically in the Arabic language protection. So when you have iman in your heart, when you have the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your heart, when you have gratitude for Allah in your heart, then your heart becomes this really precious thing in your life. This belief, this love of Allah and this iman, which literally comes from the root word amn, which means inner peace, inner peace and tranquility. And we all know that inner peace and tranquility give us happiness, right? So iman is really that core thing in your life, the most precious thing in your life, because it's everything that every human being strives for. Every single human being on the face of this earth wants inner peace and happiness. And some people think that they can get it from drugs or from alcohol or from money or from fame. But we've seen so many examples of celebrities committing suicide and people, you know, who end up having a good time on the weekend at the club, but after the hangover, they're miserable again. Some people, you know, revert through to, you know, uh, some sort of, you know, antidepressant pills and, and therapy and all sorts of creative things that human beings come, with, come up with. But... The fact of the matter is, the only way that you can attain this inner peace and happiness is through Iman. It's through this connection with your Creator. And so that becomes, when you realize this as a believer, it becomes the most precious thing in your life. And it is human nature for us that whatever is precious in our lives, we take care of it. We protect it. We become careful about it. And that is what Taqwa means. Taqwa means protect, protection and care and being conscious of something, being careful about it. And so, you know, we, we are very protective when it comes to things like jewelry, right, for the sisters. You have jewelry, you're not going to place it up out in, in your living room, right? It's going to be hidden in some jewelry box in your room in a safe, safety box. Same thing with things like our cars. We make sure that we're, you know, they're always in good shape. We make sure that our passwords are in shape when it comes to you know, our gadgets and our laptops and our phones. Why, why do we protect our devices today? Because all of this information inside our, inside our devices is very, very precious for us. And so we have to protect it using passwords and, you know, prevent it from being hacked by people. Okay? So it's human nature. Even your screen protectors on your phones. Why do you have screen protectors? How many of you have screen protectors on your phones? Okay, so you guys have taqwa already, right? This is taqwa with your phones. Why? Because your phone is precious. It's something expensive that you've paid for. You don't want it to be scratched. And so Allah's saying, listen, all of these things are fine. Keep protecting them. Even our children. When you have a newborn child, what do we do? We protect it, right? The mother is so cautious about the baby. She's making sure it's fed on time. It's, you know, sleeping well. It's being burped right. And it's, you know, the, na the nappies are being changed on a timely basis. Right? So this constant care and protection is what taqwa is. And Allah is saying, listen, your children, your family, your jewelry, your phone, your emails, your, your devices, all of these are precious and fine. You should, you should take care of it. But what should be the most precious thing in your life? What is it? Iman. Can I hear you again? What should be the most precious thing in all of our lives? Iman. Because that's what gives us inner peace and happiness, and that's what every person is after, right? And this inner peace and happiness is not just in akhirah. It's not just in the afterlife. It's also in this life. So the believer is living literally in paradise on earth and in the hereafter. 
It's a win-win situation for the believer. Whereas, what is shaitan's objective? What is the devil's objective? He wants you to live a life of misery and pain and depression and anger and worry. All of these negative emotions in the heart and fear. You know, and that is the hellfire of dunya. Just like there's a hellfire in akhirah, there's also a hellfire and, and suffering and pain in dunya which shaitan wants us to go through. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the books, he sent down you know, the messengers to us to give us the perfect way of life. And so when we become conscious of the precious value of this iman in our hearts, we become protective of it. And that is what taqwa is called. Now, that is at an individual level. When the, the society decide to live by this way of life, by this consciousness of the value of iman and taqwa in their lives, then you have what we call social harmony in a society, where the society is filled with love, justice, peace, and unity and brotherhood. And these are the you know, basic outcomes of the surah, right? What does Allah want us to live by in a society? A society that has love, peace, justice, and unity among all. Let me ask you this. How many of you would want to live in a society like this? Okay, very good. Now, let's do a reality check. What is the reality of our society today? You know, you look at all the, these words, look at their opposite. What's the opposite of love? Hate. What's the opposite of justice? Injustice. What's the opposite of peace? War and, and, and fighting. What's the opposite of unity? Disunity, right? And fragmentation. And subhanAllah, you see how shaitan is, is doing a good job? Right? Shaitan is doing a pretty good job. He wants us to break the society into pieces. That is why Surah Al-Hujurat is such an important surah to study and, and, and understand and apply in our lives. Right? And if every individual, every family applied, inshallah, these teachings, wallahi, I'm telling you, this society would be transformed. This would be a transformational move for you know, the entire society because that's what it takes. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Allah does not change the state of a people until they change the state of what? Themselves. To change starts from within. You want to see a society full of harmony? Bring harmony into your heart first. Then share it with your wife. Then share it with the kids. And then the neighborhood will start sharing this. And the slowly, slowly harmony will spread. So change starts from within. So today is about change in, in within you, inshallah, all of you. We, before we have a social harmony around us, we need to have harmony where? In our hearts. Harmony where? In our hearts. Okay, let's move on. So manners, just to also give you like a basic teaching here. That's very important. There's a balance between three dimensions when it comes to manners. Yes, you have manners when it comes to dealing with others. But more importantly, there's manners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, Allah demands us to have certain manners with Him. And at the same time, Allah demands us to have certain manners with ourselves. So it's a three-dimensional relationship, you know. A lot of people, they focus on manners with others. Just the other day, this sister was asking me this question. She said, well, what if you have someone who is very good with people, they're so kind and nice, and they never lie, and they're trustworthy, and they're kind and merciful, but they don't believe in Allah. So what is the problem with this person? The problem is that this person is fulfilling the rights of others fulfilling the manners and rights of others, but he's being disrespectful to Allah. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves to be worshipped. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of all the blessings and all the things that he's given you, 
the least you can do is worship him back. Be grateful to him. Be obedient to him. Accept his deen. Be submissive to his deen, right? And so that's one of the rights of Allah. But then there's another group of people who they're praying, they're fasting, they're doing the, you know, all of the rights of Allah. They're doing the rights of others. They're being nice to society, but they're burning themselves inside. And so these people, in the name of self-sacrifice, they're burning themselves deep inside. And this is also not part of Islam because Allah wants us to do justice with ourselves also. Yourself has a right upon you also. You know, you need to take care of your health, your emotions, your physical needs, you know, your emotional needs, psychological needs, intellectual needs. There's so many needs that a human being has. So this is an overview of all the manners covered in the surah. Now, another very important discussion is the difference between law and manners. So in the Quran, Allah talks about law and manners. But guess what portion of law is in the Quran? So let me ask you this first. What does law mean? Halal and haram, right? When I say halal and haram, what comes to your mind? Probably one of these things, right? So there's uh, shirk, which is associating partners with Allah. There's killing. There's robbery. There's drinking alcohol. There's consuming usury. There's gambling. Uh, you know, relations with the opposite gender outside of marriage. And then there's the five pillars of Islam and there's the eating the halal and haram food. Correct? I pretty much covered most of the law of the Quran. Now, if you looked at the ayat of the Quran, guess what percentage of the Quran talks about the halal and harams in our life? Throw out some numbers. Yeah, if you do the math, it's actually 7%. 7% of the Quran is only talking about law. What about the remaining 93%? It's all manners. It's how you think, your attitude as a believer, and how you use your tongue, right? And this, this is what this surah is going to be talking about. This surah will not talk about murder. It's not going to be talking about robbery or eating pork or drinking wine. It, none of that. So if you think social harmony is uh, based on law, you're, you've got it wrong, right? It's completely the opposite. It's actually focusing on manners. And manners is something that's intangible, right? That's where it becomes a problem. Because, you know, if someone kills someone, it's very clear, right? Someone died, you can measure it, right? Someone was alive, he, he was dead, there's witnesses. But when you say something hurtful to someone, can you measure if it's halal or haram? Can you measure how haram it is to backbite? Can you measure how haram it is to spy on others? And you know, can you measure what it means to have negative thinking and negative assumptions? These are intangible things, right? And therefore, even the tongue, you know, the sins of the tongue, like making fun of someone or you know, backbiting, these are things that you cannot measure. And therefore, we have become, as a society, very relaxed about these things. We do them very, in a very relaxed manner because it's immeasurable. And there's no accountability for these things. Whereas, you know, someone drinks wine, it's a big deal. But someone backbites, ah, oh, it's okay, you know, everyone's doing it. No problem. Someone steals, big deal. Someone consumes usury, big deal. Someone, you know, is in a relationship, adultery, fornication, big deal. But when it comes to, you know, negative assumptions and, you know, thinking in an evil way about someone, it's okay, everyone's doing it. So you see where the problem is? We have not been paying much attention to most of what the Quran is teaching. 
93% of the Quran is manners. Law is just 7%. And this surah highlights manners unlike any other surah. Okay? And you know what's amazing about this surah is that Allah addresses the believers by saying, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Oh, you who believe. He says this five times in this surah. How many ayahs in this surah? 18. So five times Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. Why does he keep repeating it? To keep reminding us that, listen, if you claim to have iman, then focus on manners. If you claim to have iman, you need to focus on manners. And it's really, this surah is proper tarbiyah. It's really upbringing. It's putting us in our place in terms of what's right and what's wrong when it comes to manners. So there's a lot of do's and don'ts. There's about six commands that Allah tells us to do. And there's eight prohibitions that you should not do, which I won't go into details. But just to give you an idea of how Allah is instilling these values in us, right, in the surah. Six do's and eight don'ts. So this is what basically the, the overall uh, surah will be divided into. It's going to be divided into eight parts. How many parts? Eight parts. Are you ready to begin, inshallah? So, so far this was all an introduction, pretty long introduction, right? Let's get right into it, inshallah. So the first section talks about manners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts off by saying, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. لا تقدموا بين يدي الله ورسوله واتقوا الله إن الله سميع عليم. Oh, you who believe, don't put yourself in front of Allah and the Prophet, and have taqwa of Allah. Be mindful of Allah سبحانه وتعالى. إن الله سميع عليم. Allah is most hearing and He's most knowledgeable. So, what is this ayah talking about right from the beginning? Prioritization. Don't put things that are in your mind a big deal. In front of what Allah has put, has made a big deal in the Quran. Don't put what Allah and the Prophet have made big deals a small thing. You know, make give justice to what Allah has taught us in the Quran. So, like we were saying earlier, we've given a big deal to the halal and haram stuff, right? But when it comes to manners, it's become a normal thing. And so Allah here is telling us and the believers that don't put yourself in front of Allah and the Messenger. And another thing here is teaching us manners when it comes to our lack of knowledge. We have limited knowledge, right? So don't, put, don't think you're smarter than Allah and the Prophet. Don't think that you can come up with something more creative to create social harmony in society. Allah is our creator. He knows what is the best formula for social harmony in society. So therefore, don't try to come up with new things on your own. Always make sure Allah and the Prophet are above all your thoughts, above all your opinions. You can, you can try to do some ijtihad and try to think and try to be a bit you know, creative, but there's a borderline, right? You cannot cross Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet's teachings because that is the ultimate guidance. You know, that Quran and the seer of the Prophet is enough for us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us in the Quran, Al-Yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum. That today I have completed this religion for you. This way of life, this perfect way of life is complete. My blessing upon you has been fulfilled. You don't need anything more than that. Right? And, and subhanAllah, the more we, we try to invent our own solutions for our problems, the more in problem we get. So coming back to the Quran, coming back to the teaching of the Prophet, that is what's going to give us that social harmony. That's teaching number one. 
or manner number one. So manner number two is the Prophet Our manners with the Prophet Okay? And so here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the believers again. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, la tarfa'u aswatakum fawqa sawtin nabi. وَلَا تَجْهَرُوا لَهُ بِالْقَوْلِ كَجَهْرِ بَعْضِكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ أَن تَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالُكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ Here what's happening is Allah is telling the believers don't raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet And don't speak to him in a casual manner just like you speak to each other. And if you do so then you could, this could result in your entire deeds, all of your deeds being destroyed completely. While you don't even feel it. So what is this talking about? This is talking about an incident that happened where, you know, as these new tribes, like I told you, were coming into Medina, Abu Bakr and Umar, who are Abu Bakr and Umar? Two of the most noble companions of the Prophet They had a small dispute. Okay? You know, Abu Bakr suggested that, you know, so-and-so must be the leader of this tribe. And Umar said, no, 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 so-and-so must be the leader of this tribe. And so Umar and Abu Bakr, there was a small clash that happened. Umar told Abu Bakr, you're just choosing someone else just to defy me. And then Abu Bakr said, of course not, I didn't do this. You know, you're, you're assuming wrong things about me. And so this, this argument turned into a heated debate and the voices started becoming loud. And subhanAllah, you know, this is where this verse was basically revealed to remind the Sahaba, remind the companions, and two of the best companions, that when it comes to the Prophet don't raise your voices. Have respect for the Prophet Dishonor and respect. And you know, today the Prophet is not among us. So, so we can ask ourselves, how does this verse apply to us today? Well, we can visit his, his blessed grave, right? Where is his blessed grave? In Medina. And how loud is it in Medina when you go visit the grave and do salam? Pretty loud, right? And so, you know, our respect for the Prophet should be as equal as it was for the companions. You know, when you're visiting the, visiting the Prophet don't raise your voice too much. And here, it's not just about the voice and the tone of your voice. It's about respecting the honor of the Prophet You know, the Prophet has a huge status when it comes to this deen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored him unlike any other Prophet. Even when it came to addressing the Prophet all the other Prophets, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would address them, Ya Isa, Ya Ibrahim, Ya Nuh, O Nuh, O Isa. You know? But the Prophet never did he in the Quran say, Ya Muhammad. He always used to respectfully address him by saying, Ya Ayyuhan Nabi, Ya Ayyuhan Rasul. You know? Very respectfully. And so, even throughout the Quran, you see this very, very common teaching that, you know, respect for the Prophet him, him by name is only mentioned four times by the name Muhammad in the Quran. And every time he's mentioned by name, he's associated with the Messenger of Allah, the Prophet of Allah. Okay? And so this ayah is talking about respect for who? Respect for the Prophet. What was the first one about? Respect for Allah. Very good. So let's move on. And then Allah says, إِنَّ that those people who lower their voices when they are with the Prophet Allah has tested their hearts with taqwa and they indeed are deserving huge forgiveness and a huge reward. And so this is talking about Abu Bakr and Umar after this incident. 
you know, both after this incident, after this verse was revealed, they started talking in a very light voice, respectfully, overly being like conscious of the fact that the Prophet is there, therefore I should make sure my tone of voice is always lower than the Prophet Sallallahu and, and, you know, Abu Bakr Siddiq especially, he was speaking very, very lightly. So Allah here is rewarding them and telling them that, listen, lahum maghfiratun. It's okay, I've forgiven you. Whatever happened, I know you've done mistakes, but it's okay. Lahum maghfiratun wa ajrun azim. You're being taught through the Quran, so as you make mistakes, I'm correcting your mistakes. So you have forgiveness and a huge reward for me for correcting your action. So we're learning here also from the Sahaba how they used to fix their you know, uh, acts of disobedience and they, how they used to fix their manners immediately. Right? When you're doing something wrong and you find out it's wrong, you fix it immediately. And that was something natural for the, for the Sahaba. <coughs> so, you all know Optimus Prime? Yes? Okay. So, Optimus Prime is basically, who is behind Optimus Prime or who, is, who controls Optimus Prime? There's a human being, right? A man. Why does he wear this whole uh, costume or why does he fit into this machine to give him extra power and protection right and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran in Surah Al-A'raf and the you know this is often understood as righteous clothing you know which is again part of what that means but there's a broader meaning here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that Taqwa, this protection of your manners, protection of iman, shouldn't be just something in your heart. This should be something that your entire body is covered with. That's how protective you should be of your iman. It's like wearing clothes. Now, you know, none of us walks out of the house without clothes on, right? Anybody walks out the house without clothes on? Nobody. So Allah's telling us, listen, just like you don't walk out the house without clothes, I don't want you to walk outside the house without taqwa. Wear it as clothing, just like, you know, you wear your own clothing. Even in your house, how many of you walk around with no clothes on in the house? No, right? So even in the house, you need to have taqwa. It's not like you only have taqwa in public and in private, no taqwa, no. So taqwa all the time. We're pretty much dressed throughout the day, right? Except for when we take showers. Unless some of you like to sleep without clothes on. I don't know. I find it weird, but up to you, yeah. But the idea here is taqwa is something that you got to carry with you all the time. And see how beautifully Allah describes it? Libasu taqwa. The clothing of taqwa that's always there with you. So you'll see this theme taqwa being repeated all over the surah, inshallah. And then Allah talks about this other incident that happened. One of the tribes that came, the new tribes that came into Islam, they thought they did a favor to the Prophet and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by entering into Islam without any fighting. So they thought that they did a favor to the Prophet and they thought that they had this high status and they didn't know the manners of Islam. They didn't know what it meant to respect the Prophet So they walk up to his home and you know he was in one of the rooms which is what Hujurat means. Hujurat means rooms. And so these were small rooms where the Prophet would spend time with his family. How many rooms did he have, the Prophet Nine. Okay, nine. So Hujurat, there were nine Hujurat because he had nine wives simultaneously which is an exception, guys. You can only have four, right? The Prophet had an exception, nine. And the Prophet his you know, habit was to give time to each of his wives separately. And so 
these people wanted to talk to the Prophet and they were being impatient. And so they walk up to, to the house, outside the house, and they start calling, Ya Muhammad! Ya Muhammad! And so is this respectful or no? Very unrespectful. Did they know that it's disrespectful? They didn't know. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah that those who call you behind the rooms, most of them don't even know. They don't have this controlling mind. Aql means the mind that stops you from doing the wrong thing. So most of these people, they don't know. You know? And then Allah then says, وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ صَبَرُوا حَتَّى تَخْرُجَ إِلَيْهِمْ لَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ If they only waited until you came out for them, it would have been better for them. وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Allah ends it by saying, again, tawbah, right? Again, forgiveness. Allah is saying, it's okay, you made a mistake, it's okay, I forgive you again. You know, Allah is infinitely merciful, infinitely forgiving. And so here you see the, the difference between the um, standards, right? Mercy and forgiveness, by the way. This theme is also repeated all, all out the surah. It's repeated six times. How many ayat in this surah? I forgot. In six of those ayat, Allah repeats this concept of mercy and forgiveness. Why? Because having social harmony, part of it is mercy and forgiveness. If Allah didn't instill mercy and forgiveness, then we would be hopeless, right? All of us would be hopeless. The people who are bad, the people who are doing wrong things, they would continue to do wrong things because they have no more hope left. But Allah opened the door of mercy and forgiveness to make it very important for us to come back to Allah when we do wrong things. So the doors of mercy and forgiveness are always open from Allah to us. And indirectly through these ayat, Allah is also teaching us, you want to have social harmony in a society? Then you need to be merciful and forgiving to your fellow you know, community, which inshallah will be instilled later on. So there's different standards. When it came to Abu Bakr and Umar, what was the standard? Don't raise your voices above the Prophet, right? And were they shouting? They were shouting, right? As an argument. As for the, these people, this tribe that came and they were shouting outside the room, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also taught them that, you know what? You need to lower your voices, don't shout, wait for the Prophet to come out. And so here Allah is teaching us different ways of talking to different people. When you talk to Sahaba, there's a different way of teaching them, a different way of advising them. When you, when you talk to a new Muslim group or a new tribe, there's a different approach to that also. And here there's another theme of patience, by the way. Because, you know, what's happened with these, this tribe? Were they patient or did they, you know, shout out the Prophet's name? Did they invade his privacy or no? Yes, so this theme of patience will be also recurring as we move along, inshallah. Also, a side note here is that we learn how the Prophet ﷺ was extremely accessible, right? Even in this incident, the narrators tell us that he did walk out of the house. He did walk out of the house and attended them, right? But here Allah is telling us or teaching us how the Prophet ﷺ was you know, always accessible to everybody. And that's one of the signs and one of the tips for leaders. You want to be a good leader, you got to be accessible to your followers, right? If you're someone who's always closed, behind closed doors, you have gatekeepers who prevent people from coming in, that's not a sign of good leadership. So we'll stop and inshallah we'll, we'll uh, play a small game, right, to refresh you up inshallah, okay? So um, for this game, I will need one person from the brothers and one person from the sisters to, to come up inshallah.
I need to tell you, I need to whisper a secret in your ear. And then what you are going to do, how many of you played this game before? Okay, Chinese whispers, right? The objective is to pass on the whisper to your neighbor, but the rule is you cannot repeat the whisper more than once. You only say it once, so you have to attend with your ears and then pass it along to your neighbor. So, your brother, you're going to come from, yes, come from, please. So I don't want to jump down and up all the time. From the sisters, uh, no, come. I need to close the, the mic, right? Because everyone is going to hear. Boss, can you get my bag, please, from down there? 